Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Neon the podcast that goes behind the curtain of pop culture and reveals the real history that's lurking just behind the scenes. I'm Jem Daduchu, and this time round, wait for it, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to play a game with you. I'm going to give you three quotes from three classic movies, and let's see if you can guess the movies. First of all, in space, no one can hear you scream. Okay. Second one, you will believe a man can fly. And the third one, the first casualty of war is innocence. Well, let's give you the answers to those three then, shall we? But before I do, I suppose I do need to remind you, please keep spreading the neon word. We're getting some really good traction, but we could always do more. Whatever app you're listening on, please give this a five-star review. That's always appreciated. Uh, do subscribe as well. That always helps the numbers as well. If you want to talk to us, we're neonpodcast.com and Neon Podcast on both Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to talk to me, I'm Jem Daduchu on Twitter. So come and say hi. You've been here for three and a half hours. How many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot? As your leader, I encourage you from time to time, and always in a respectful manner, to question my logic. Now to run a computer check on this tape and the professor. Dodge this. The tracks go off in this direction. So, I think you probably got the answers to those three clues. And the first one was, of course, Alien. The second one was Superman the movie. And the third one, perhaps slightly harder, but that's Platoon. 
And actually, I'll be honest with you, when I saw the posters for Platoon, when it came out, I wasn't 15 and you had to be 15 to see it in Britain. I misread it. I read it as the first casualty of war is innocent rather than innocence. But you know what? In a way, it kind of means the same thing. But anyway, anyway, just a little share there with you. But here's the thing. There's a trick to what I've just done with you, because those three phrases, which are very famous, aren't in any of their movies. As I just pointed out, what they are is on the posters. And so what I wanted to talk to you today was a little bit about posters and media and film promotion and marketing. So putting all that together, it gives us quite a broad area to talk about and also a chance for me to diffuse a few myths that are out there, which is always one of the fun things I like to do. And what triggered all this was in March 2018, Bill Gold died. And I'm going to guarantee that virtually everybody listening to this podcast is going, who's Bill Gold? Well, here's the remarkable thing. Bill Gold in 2018 was 97 years old. And Mr. Gold had had probably, arguably, the most illustrious career in cinema poster history. This is the man who, he didn't quite start his career with this, but one of his earliest posters was for Casablanca. And actually, what I'd like to do is run through a, a few of his posters. This isn't in any way, a, a sort of strictly speaking, chronological order, but just listen to this because you'll realise pretty quickly, in, in a way, he is a cornerstone. He, he's, he's had a touch point with so many classic uh, films that you've probably heard of, or at least mean to get around to viewing. But we've got Casablanca, as I've just said, Streetcar Named Desire, Alien, The Exorcist, The Searchers, Bonnie and Clyde, Deliverance, Dirty Harry. You know, it doesn't just stop in the sort of 70s. He keeps going in, in the 80s. How about Fame or Platoon, as I've just mentioned, and The Untouchables. Now, the thing is, he actually, I mean, I could keep going. I could spend this whole podcast just doing lists. I figure you probably wouldn't want me to do that. But he actually struck up quite the relationship with Clint Eastwood, which is pretty good for your career because Clint's still going and he's in his 80s. So pretty much after the Spaghetti Westerns, virtually all Clint Eastwood's posters of his movies were done by Bill Gold. And what was lovely is that Bill retired. I mean, you know, you've been working for decades doing this stuff, you know, from the 1930s into the 2000s. And he he retired. But what was lovely is that Clint Eastwood implored him to come out of retirement on his 90th year and get him in 2011 to do the poster for J. Edgar. Now, Let's be honest, okay? J. Edgar is not a classic movie, uh, but it was a sign. It sort of, you've got, now got connected dots between Leonardo DiCaprio, Clint Eastwood, and Bill Gold. And therefore, you've got, a, you've got sort of sinews of history stretching all the way from 2011, all the way back, 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 back to Casablanca. I love that. It's that kind of stuff that really excites me about history. But the thing is, if you like, we are clearly past the halcyon days of film posters. But what I wanted you to do is pause for a moment. If you're a younger listener, I want you to sort of 
try and put yourself into the shoes of somebody back in, let's say, the 1970s or 1980s. And if you are my age or older, you'll absolutely relate to this, that when a film was on the horizon, all you had was the poster. And clearly nowadays that's not the case. Where you, you might have been to the cinema to see the trailer and seeing the trailers before the movies up until 10 years ago was really exciting because the main way you got your trailer information was from just before this movie that I'm going to see now. Indeed, uh, I'm going to link it back to, to Clint Eastwood. Um, in the very late 1980s, there was the last Dirty Harry movie, uh, Deadpool, and um, the Deadpool, not the comic character. And it had quite, uh, it was quite the smash because it was the first movie to carry the trailer for the 1989 Batman movie, which was just hype city in that year. So it's an example where that sometimes just by carrying the right trailer, you end up getting sort of a bigger boost of people coming to, to see your stuff. And today, with the internet, it's, it's all out there already. You now get teasers for the teaser trailer that comes out a few months before the main trailer. And quite frankly, by the time you've got to the main trailer, you've already seen most of it in the teaser. And by the time you see the movie, or by the time you see that trailer in front of another movie, you don't really care anymore. I'm gonna argue something like, and I'm, I probably get tweets saying, I think you'll find this was a definitive poster too. But I think one of the last great poster campaigns around a movie was probably The Dark Knight in 2008. And in a way, it's carried the tradition of posters because the posters were meant to strike the mood. They weren't meant to be just a still from the movie. Let's talk about 1975 Jaws poster. It's one of the most famous posters in cinema history. And you've got that picture where two thirds of it is that colossal shark head with all the teeth. Uh, underneath the, the woman in the water. But you can see the shark as clear as day. That shot is not in the movie. And indeed, if it was, it would have looked awful. Uh, the whole thing about Jaws is you really don't tend to see the shark because when you do, he's rubbish. <laughs> Bruce, as actually was the name of the shark, that's what St Steven Spielberg christened the animatronic shark. Uh, Bruce Bruce was not great and he knew that, so he therefore keep, kept minimal amount of shark. Shark is implied in Jaws rather than shown all the time. But that poster gives you the mood of the movie rather than is an act accurate portrayal of the movie. And it's the same thing with The Dark Knight in 2008. And there were complaints about this because there's this really cool picture of Batman. And then in the background, there's a skyscraper with burning flames in the shape of the Batman symbol. It looked awesome. It's not in the movie. I, maybe, maybe this is Christopher Nolan doing a nod to that, but later on in Dark Knight Rises, he does actually set fire to this these flames that burn on a bridge in that shape. So you could say it was the teaser for the for the next Batman movie. But anyway, the point is, and also you had uh, with this poster campaign, and rather than just having a definitive poster, that is an example where there were multiple posters. But there sometimes there were posters, and then they looked like they'd been graffitied by the Joker. And then we got the t phrase "Why so serious?" Now I deliberately picked right at the beginning three movie quotes that aren't in the movies. But sometimes there are just these little quotes that splash on, and you just instantly go, "Oh yeah, yeah." For example, if I said, "This is literally the only stuff, the only words on the poster." apart from the name, who you're going to call. You know 
that that's Ghostbusters. So there's an absolute design art to the world of film posters. But the art of the poster goes back much further. Okay, now, this is where I can... Well, I'm going to start with some very, very early posters, but then I'm going to dis diffuse a few myths. All right, so... I love this fact. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about sharing this with you. There are posters from ancient Rome. When it came to the gladiatorial matches, we literally have little posters saying, you know, you have X gladiator fighting Y gladiator on Saturday. Come and see. Woo. So marketing has been around for quite a long time. But the thing about the Roman society, and indeed there are sort of similar type posters, not literally for gladiators, but there are sort of printed posters in ancient China. But what you're talking about there is a, a moderately literate society. And this is where you have to diffuse a myth because posters haven't been used all the time. A really common thing you see in movies are wanted posters for Robin Hood. Medieval Europe didn't have posters for two reasons. One, almost everybody was illiterate and linked to that, the written language wasn't your language, it was Latin. So you're doubly uh, out of luck. So even if you can somehow write English or French, that's not good enough. Everyone wrote in Latin. So yeah, that, that, that's a problem. But then on top of that, you don't have printing. So each one of those would have to be handcrafted. And that's not really a, an efficient way to get the message around for Robin Hood. So, no, there were never posters for Robin Hood. And I'm, I'm sorry, one of, I'll be honest with you. The very first person I banned on my Facebook community page called History Gems with a G... The very first person I banned on that was somebody who had a go at me when I said that Robin Hood is a fictional character. Because he is. To give you an idea, the very first stories, the earliest stories about Robin Hood, aren't set at the time of King John. They're set at the time of King Edward I. So that's about 80 years later. Um, so, yes, so sorry. Sorry about that. Okay, look, were there bandits in the Nottingham area? Absolutely. Did Was there a sheriff of Nottingham? Yes, there was. But... That's all you can say. The rest of it is just sort of made up good jaunty stories. And, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. And I know Nottingham makes an industry out of this stuff and that's fine too. But this is where I do actually have to put my history hat on and say, show me the evidence. And it's not there. There are lots of stories, but stories aren't the same thing as facts. I'm sorry. Okay. But even in just generically medieval England or France or Germany, there weren't wanted posters all over the place for bad guys or bandits or things like that. You instead have to come into the uh, era of not only print, but also better literacy. Because the substitute for a poster in those days is something that you might I bet you know this phrase. It's probably in the back of your head. And uh, when I say it, you might even have an image. But the town crier, in which case you might be thinking, oh, guy, red coat, uh, tricorn hat, ringing a bell. Well, the clothing changed over the eras. But of course, if you're dealing with an illiterate society, that's not the same thing as a society that isn't interested in what's happening in the world. I mean, they couldn't care less about in, let's say, 1400 England, what was going on in 1400 China. That's just something that 
was beyond their thoughts. But they might want to know what the king's decrees were, and maybe they know that there's a war going on, so how's that doing? So the town crier's job was to be given the information. In a way, the town crier was the news headlines of his day. And he would be given the information. The presumption is that either he was literate or somebody talking to him was literate and sort of like said, right, you need to tell them this, this, this and this. And he would literally stand in the town square, you know, in the, in the area where you're the most likely to get the attention because people needed to congregate around you, would ring a bell because it's loud, which might get people from down the road to turn up. And that's how you shared the news of the day. And indeed, that might be when you would say, be aware there's lots of bandits operating, operating out of Sherwood Forest. You might not want to be sending your tradesmen through there. That kind of thing. Once we get into properly printed media, once we get into a better level of literacy, I'm not saying that something like 1800s uh, America or England were super literate, but there were clearly more literacy. Schools had started to just trickle down, not just for the rich, but for the middle classes, and even there were poorer people as well. The wanted posters themselves seem to have started in the 1840s, which by then you got most of the population having at least basic schooling, and also you're able to do lithographic printing relatively well. I mean, these were rudimentary things, but the really famous wanted posters, they're from a couple of generations later. They're from things like the 1880s, like the Jesse Jameses of this world and the Billy the Kids. Well, one of the clues as to how recent they are is sometimes they have admittedly not the world's best reproductions, but sort of reproductions of photos. It's not just an artistic representation. So we're into the realms of photography, which is kind of from the 1850s, 60s onwards. And then now there's a reason to perhaps pin up in each town in the Western frontier, be aware of these outlaws. Wanted, dead or alive. You know, $500 to track down X. And it was a a, a relatively lawless world and therefore putting a bounty on somebody's head, that was a very efficient way to boost your police presence, shall we say, the security of the area. And people did earn a living basically becoming bounty hunters, hunting down people specifically for these wanted posters. And you could absolutely argue about the legitimacy of saying dead or alive, because surely you should be getting them alive, bring them back in for proper legal processes. But, you know, trying to drag a, a bandit outlaw in the middle of the badlands of Texas could be difficult. So by having the two options, by giving a higher price for alive, it at least encouraged them to try and bring them in. But there were some men who always just tried to you know, it's just easier to shoot them. And then and then there's no drama. Then I can just bring them back. Yeah, I earn less money, but I stay alive. And in a way, that's basically what the movie True Grit is about. Anyway, slight distraction there, because let's take it into the world of entertainment, shall we? And I'm going to say there's a difference between a banner and a poster. You see, a banner would be something... Some, look, sometimes banners were printed on paper and sometimes posters were printed on cloth. So it's not about what they're made on, but it's about really how many of them there were and what was the point of them. 
going back a, a little bit earlier to some of my other podcasts, like, for example, the, the Hamilton Greatest Showman, I, I mentioned circuses. And there was a time when circuses would literally travel the country. And when they arrived, they would walk down the main street with their banners flapping. But there would only be one banner showing the acrobats. There would only be one banner showing the lion in the cage. And obviously you'd have some of this stuff on display as well. A little bit of zhuzh and ooh-la-la to excite the crowds. A little bit of showmanship. Why not? But if you like, the point about a banner is it gets reused again and again. A lot of effort was put into some of these banners. There's obviously the military term, you know, the banner and or the standard, you know. So, you know, they were a focal point. They were something that we used again and again. And these banners and standards were moved around rather than just remain stationary. Whereas posters, you would mass produce, scatter them all over a town, and then they'd be gone by the end of the week, blown away, washed away by rain, etc. So if you like, the, the, the purpose of a banner versus a poster are, philosophically speaking, the antithesis of each other. They're, they're the complete opposite. Posters are disposable. Banners are meant to last forever. Posters are everywhere. Banners they're almost like an event in themselves. And turning this into the world of entertainment specifically, going to your local theatre, or indeed going to your local cinema, they would have the equivalent of a banner in the front, at least in the early era as well, where they would... You've all seen this, you've all seen this. On the older, I mean, clearly on the multiplexes, they don't do this anymore, but in the older cinemas, they literally have the letters spelling out the next... So, you know... Uh, lethal weapon might be there on the top or it, it might say I don't know alien or, or whatever so just by walking past I can see what films on and sometimes they'd even have the timings on them as well so that would be an equivalent of a banner you would also get in things like vaudeville you'd have like a, a poster sort of slapped over a board on the front um, and maybe that poster would be torn down and changed over a period of time, or maybe it was permanent. You know, it, different places did it in different ways. But the idea was you would walk past this theatre and you'd see some of the list of the vaudeville acts. The term top billing meant that you were literally at the top of the list of things that were going to be on that evening. You know, and, and vaudeville was always a case of, let's give them a little bit of everything. Let's have some jugglers. Let's have a short play. Let's have a comedian. Let's have a strong man. You know, uh, all these things. You may not like, let's say, the, the acrobats, but you're going to love the jugglers, for example. So there's something for everybody. But the higher up you were on the bill, the more money you basically got as a performer because you were top billing. You were the draw, as it were. And quite often these sort of female singers would bring in the guys. Anyway, that's a whole other story. I'm sure we'll do that at some other point for some other type of... Um, uh, some other type of, of, of podcast or neon we'll see. But the, the world of entertainment brought in some real really quality artists. Perhaps the most famous would be in France in the 1880s. Uh, you got someone like Toulouse-Lautrec and his, uh, his hand-painted, which was then reproduced and reprinted many times, uh, poster for Moulin Rouge, the Moulin Rouge, which he stayed in quite often, uh, that is now considered a design and indeed art classic. But we're now at a point where art was changing fairly regularly. So you now get these different eras of artistry 
and design. So, for example, uh, that might be the 1880s. But then in the 1890s, you have something called Art Nouvelle. Come on, it's all French. It's got to be good. Uh, but Art Nouvelle it would be an example of that. I am assuming, like me, you had you probably have to do the research and all this stuff. But when I say this one, I bet you know what I mean. But it's an example of that would be the Chat Noir, the, the black cat poster you know, which is all clearly old-timey and kind of classy and, and you know, visually really striking. That Chat Noir poster seen by law to have been hung by all classy women in the late 90s, early 2000s in their, in their various uh, apartments and, and flats. Um, why do I know that? Because I kept seeing it. That poster kept following me around back in the day. And, uh, you know, maybe this puts a smile on your face as you either recognize it as seeing it in somebody's place or indeed you owned a copy. Look, it's still a design classic. I'm, I'm not denigrating any of these things. I'm just merely pointing out that, yeah, I mean, some of these things get overused again and again. Then we get into sort of Art Deco, and actually by the time we're out of the Art Deco era, we're now into the start of Bill Gold's career, the 1930s, with the likes of Casablanca. And what's interesting is sometimes these posters are very much of their time. The Casablanca one, in a way, harks back to the top billing thing. It's a series of heads, and there's no reason why Casablanca needs to be in that squiggly writing, but it is, and it sort of makes it kind of cool. But it's clearly of its time. Jumping forward into Bill Gold's career to just uh, a few other examples, you get something like The Exorcist, which is sort of, sort of almost obscured and blurry, and it still looks fresh to this day. I mean, these are obviously opinions rather than facts. But then you've got something like he, he also did the poster for Clockwork Orange. Yeah, he did, does have a good list of movies. Um, he even did some of the James Bond ones for the record as well. So anyway, but with uh, A Clockwork Orange, you've got this sort of triangle within a triangle and sort of overlapping imagery, which has to be the inspiration for the White Stripes video uh, Seven Nation Army, which is one of the classic music videos. So we've now got posters influencing some of the other ones, as well, uh, some other areas of media too. And just on that point for a moment, uh, I said that he did most of Clint Eastwood's ones. If you haven't seen the poster for Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood's last Western, that is just such a classic poster. You actually see Clint Eastwood from the back and he's kind of looking over his shoulder and he's got a gun behind his back. And in a way, it looks a bit like the Searchers poster. So it's harking back to the absolute core classic Westerns. But in another way, it looks perhaps a bit more like something like Goodfellas and Untouchables. Oh, yeah, by the way, he did those too. Um, so it, it looks a bit gangster as well. That is a poster that if it was hanging on your wall would look great the day it came out or indeed today, even though that's more than 20 years later. So you've got, I think a sign of a design classic is it always looks good. Just briefly into the world of cars, something like the Mini or the 2CV or the Beetle, they just look good. Simple as that, really. So... I, I'm, I'm aware I've been... Yeah, look, we're doing an entire podcast about pieces of paper here. But what's interesting, I find, is how... 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Movies have had to always sell themselves. And in that respect, movies share DNA with the present as well as the past as well. You would you would absolutely have, as I said, the, the banners and the displays to try and entice you into the be it the circus or the vaudeville. And that's where movies started as well. But also, a little bit like the, the circuses, there would be the newsreels of these glamorous film stars. I mean, let's face it, the term film star, not film actor. Film star is our standard go-to. Star kind of elevates these people quite literally. Uh, you know, they're, uh, they're better than us. And, and if you like, some of that luster has now disappeared as we, we now get the tabloids and, you know, lots of these people are now on Twitter and things like that. And it's, it's weird when you occasionally get, uh, every now and then, I w very rarely tweet out to sort of relatively famous people, but every now and then you get a reply. Dar O'Brien once replied to me and it's like, oh my God, that sort of kind of blew my mind, as it were. Um, but uh, he's hardly a film star. I think he'd be comfortable with me saying that. Anyway, uh, I asked him a history question for the record. He, he made a comment on, on Mock the Week and I just wanted, you know, just wanted to know a little bit more. And he was kind enough to reply. Thank you so much. Anyway, so if you like, there was a little bit more uh, access to these people. Um, they're not perhaps quite on the pedestal that they once were. So... But when you have these premieres, it's to this day, I mean, you've got the photos and the images of the black and white premieres and all the, the cameramen there going click, 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 click. Those were shown on newsreels. Like, have a look at this glamorous couple turning up to Bloody Blah premiere. And that was kind of newsworthy in the celebrity category. 
And it still is. I've been in Leicester Square a couple of times when I knew that there were premieres on, and sometimes when I didn't know there were premieres on, it was really annoying trying to get around all the, the crowds. But you, you got you got hundreds, sometimes thousands of people turning up to say, to catch a glimpse of this person for real. And you get someone like Tom Cruise, who's really good at working the audiences. And sometimes he'll be out there for, uh, you know, hour or more signing things and posing for selfies. Of course, that's now a thing as, as well. I always like with Lenny Kravitz, uh, he says to people, he says, oh, can I get a selfie with you? He goes, I'll do a selfie with you or you can have a hug. And, uh, he, you know, because that's sort of a, a moment of friendly contact. I think that's a lovely thing. But what he apparently what he's frustrated about is most people just want the proof, <laughs> which tells you that they're not really it's almost like they're not really interested in you. They're interested in bragging that they were with you, which does which must be a frustration if you're famous. I'll never know that feeling. But anyway. So the, the, the point is that you've got the premieres, the razzmatazz, and this is all marketing. This is the same thing as the posters. You, the, no, there isn't actually a giant shark that looks like that in the Jaws poster in the movie, but you know what I mean? And also, same thing when you think about the alien poster, the, that, that tagline you know, but if you look again at the alien egg on the front of the poster, it's, I mean, with that sort of light coming out of it, it's such a design classic, but... That's not what the alien egg looks like. And when it opens, there is no light that pours out of it. A face hugger comes out of it. That's what happens. So it, again, it gets the mood. It's sort of selling you this. This is kind of what it's going to feel like. But if you ever went into a movie in the 1970s or 80s thinking what I've just seen on the poster is going to be on the screen, you could quite often feel a little bit disappointed because it's a bit of showmanship and razzmatazz and marketing and that's the idea. And if you like, the, the last thing I'm going to end on is the way that you they use the term showman and they also use the term show business. Don't forget the business bit because what, what I find really frustrating is you'll get these sit-down interviews and, and apparently what happens, I've, I've heard some people talking about these experiences where literally you'll get someone like Chris Pratt for let's say a Jurassic Park or Jurassic World movie and he'll sit down in that seat and basically every 15 minutes, somebody else comes in. Oh, we've got Sally from the New York Times. Oh, we got Dave from YouTube. We got blah, 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 blah. And basically one after another after another are all asking you about this movie. And it's written into your contract. What you've got to sit there and go say things like, you know, I'm really excited to work with this director or this script, I think, really elevates the idea from the original. Yeah. Did you see the original? Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, brilliant. Well, this actually takes it to another level. In other words, they're all sitting there selling their movie. They're all trying to get you to go and see their film. That's the same thing as somebody trying to sell you double glazing or sell you an advert or whatever it may be. A boiler. Let's pick something boring, okay? Chris Pratt actually has something in common with a boiler salesperson, that guy who installs that mystical white box underneath the stairs or in the kitchen. And I actually have a background in sales and sales is absolutely a skill. But what I always know about sales is that I could never sell something I don't believe in. I've always sold products that I thought were pretty good. And now I actually train people on how to sell. And ethics comes up a lot more than you might think in sales. Because in business to business, unlike what you've seen in things like Wolf of Wall Street and Glengarry Glen Ross, it isn't about hit and run, bye-bye. It's about building a relationship with that other person. You can only do that by saying, okay, what do you actually need 
All right, I think I got one of them. Let's do some business, okay? But that is not what's happening in the world of cinema. They just need bums on seats. They just need people to turn up and see this movie. And what I therefore find annoying, and actually a bad sign of sales, is while these people are sitting there talking about how great the script was, or the director, or what a great time they had, or what a great time you're going to have going to this movie, and you certainly don't always do that, then their autobiography comes out ten years later, and they say, oh, it was a nightmare on that film. Oh, we were filming with an unfinished script. We were making up as we were going along. Oh, I hated every second of it. The, the director was drunk the entire time. And it's like, you didn't say any of that while you were being interviewed. You could have saved me 12 pounds and two hours of my life if you'd been honest. So, yeah. They're snake oil salespeople. They're, they're, they are the Wolf of Wall Street in the dodgiest sense of all that. Because... Their job isn't to tell you the truth, whereas actually, bizarrely, counterintuitively even, most salespeople's job is to tell you the truth. So, we have done a whole load of marketing and advertising and even salesmanship all coming from, and I would like again to sort of mention his name, Bill Gold is one of those unsung heroes who is a cornerstone of cinema. He is a name you're unlikely to have heard of, but you love his work. And the movie poster still is going on. It's still out there. If you like, the area that I tend to still see the poster and it puts a smile on my face is in the tube. And I think that's a great place to put that, you know, in the London underground, I'm standing there waiting for a train and my, my... My eyes are just focusing across the platform. And what's there? A massive poster for whatever movie. And of course, if it's in central London, I'm never more than a five minute walk away from a big old cinema. So that's not the world's dumbest thing to do. So posters were not used to try and track down Robin Hood, but they were used to try and track down the likes of Jesse James. They are something that are beautiful, that are absolutely sometimes considered art and have been created by legitimate artists. And they are a part of pop culture because as a teenager, it doesn't matter whether you have an, you're from the era of the iPhone or the Walkman. You always want to have something that sort of states your attitude to life hanging from the wall. And the last thing I'm going to say is uh, in my time in university, and university is an important time to have the right poster hanging on your wall. Over the years, I had three different posters. I had uh, uh, Phil Silvers from the uh, Sergeant Bilko from the Phil Silvers show, a big black and white one there. Maybe you know what I'm talking about there. But I also had a poster from the Blues Brothers movie. And I also had a poster, a full length poster of Robocop coming out of his car. Part man, part machine, all cop. Great. Perfect line. Some of these are Uh, some of these lines, you know, the skill of the tagline, one sentence can summarize the entire movie. There's an absolute skill to that. And one of the most recent classic taglines, admittedly, I think it's from just around to the year 2000, and I'm sorry, Kevin Spacey, sorry, but the movie American Beauty was just simply dot, 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 look closer. Because it is about the, the layers underneath the characters. That's what that movie's all about. So a really good tagline and a really good image can absolutely sell you a movie before you've even seen the thing. How clever is that?
So there we go. That's Neon's take on the world of posters and cinema advertising. I hope you enjoy that. Please, please do keep the conversation going and, and please share the love. Uh, give us a review. We'd love that. Uh, click subscribe on whatever app you're listening to this on. Or if you're listening to this on something separate like my Facebook page, go on to an app and click subscribe. Then you're never going to miss one. Um, we are neonpodcast.com online. Neon Podcast on both Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to talk to me, I'm Jem Daduchu on Twitter. Thanks for listening. More Neon soon. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.